So there's been this conversation about the SOM rule, how it was triggered. The SOM rule is very straightforward. I focus on the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate is, I mean, it's widely followed. People understand it. And it's the reason that we fight recessions. People are talking about, are we in a recession? You have endless debates about the GDP and, and all that. And what you should be talking about in economic conversations is, is this good for the middle class? Is this good for the economy? From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why. I'm David Goldstein, Senior Fellow at Civic Ventures. I'm Paul Constant, and I'm a writer at Civic Ventures. Wait, Paul, you're not Nick. I, I am not, and I, I beat myself up over it every day. <laughs> well, un, unfortunately, uh, Nick is under the weather, so he couldn't make this recording. So, Paul, we've invited you in to be the billionaire today. Yeah, yeah feels good. Feels good. I have to say, I thought that once you passed you know, the nine-figure mark that you didn't get sick anymore. So this is really, I'm, I'm learning a lot today already. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, they, they haven't quite um, managed to purchase uh, immortality, but uh, I, I think Elon Musk thinks that's coming, so we'll, we'll find out. Uh, but we, we would have delayed this podcast. Often, if Nick can't make it, we'll reschedule, but uh, we didn't want to miss today's conversation with the economist Claudia Sam. Today is uh, CPI day. This morning, the uh, new inflation report came out, uh, so we wanted to get her on and talk about it. Also, there's been an ongoing conversation on social media. Do you still do that, Paul, social media? I do, yeah, I do Blue Sky, which I'm a which I'm a big fan of, and I follow Claudia on on Blue Sky, and she's uh, she's a great economics follow. She explains things clearly. She's uh, also funny, and she's uh, she's super informative. So right, and so there's been this conversation about the sum rule. There's been some headlines and some posts about how it was triggered or almost triggered when unemployment uh, hit 3.9%. So there's been some uh, mansplaining to her since she created it. It has not been triggered, as she'll explain. But uh, we figured that it's a great time to talk to Claudia about what's happening in the American economy and what is not happening in the economy, which, by the way, is uh, that's recession I'm talking about. So let's talk to Claudia. Claudia Som, founder of Som Consulting and a former Federal Reserve and White House economist, I'm currently an independent economist. I have a Substack stay at home macro, Som, like the last name, and I write regularly at Bloomberg Opinion. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, first, I want to wish you a very happy CPI day. Yes, we got we got a good one today. They're not all good. <laughs> and today was a good one. Well, uh, tell us what it was. Let's start with that since uh, we're recording this, by the way, on uh, the morning of Tuesday, November 14th. So the inflation data just came out. What was it? What does it mean? So month over month, prices were flat. So that inflation read was zero. 
the expectation had been a little bit higher than that. So that's our, you know, pleasant surprise this morning at 8.30. An important piece of that, and we knew this was coming, gas prices have come down quite a bit, and that puts downward pressure on overall inflation. We also saw on what's referred to as core, so inflation taking out food and energy, taking them out not because they don't matter to people, but because they tend to move around, like, the gas price had a you know an effect mm-hmm. uh, this month and last month it wasn't as good of an effect, uh, and so that core inflation also came in better than uh, people had expected, and it was a two tenths increase instead of a three tenths increase. Now, if you look over the year as a whole, inflation has come down substantially from where we were at the peak uh, in last year, and yet we're still it's still higher than where we were before. Uh, Total inflation is running right around 3%. And this core inflation uh, is around four. And that's that's higher than it was before the pandemic, but we have made an immense amount of progress this year towards it. So no, you know, throwing a party on one month of good data, but we've had several good months over the course of this year. And you gotta step back and look, you know, big picture. And yet for those individuals or economists, market watchers like myself who are still in denial about an improvement in inflation, it's time for them to explain themselves. (laughs) Historically, have we seen anything like this, such a dramatic fall in the inflation rate without a corresponding spike in unemployment? We have been living the impossible as possible since the pandemic began. Most of what we saw in the initial years, including last year, was bad, right? That we had, I mean, I don't need to explain how bad the pandemic and the economic disruptions have been. This year, what we've seen, this time the impossible was good. As you said, we have seen inflation come down notably and the unemployment rate stay low. We have had the unemployment rate below 4% since the beginning of last year. That, that is that's so important, right? And wage gains have been high. We finally are seeing, even with the higher inflation, the higher prices, wages have caught up for the typical worker. You know, more, more is always better, but last year, re- workers' families were, they were getting behind in terms of um, wages and inflation. And this year, we're getting back on track. And that's really important. Prices are not gonna fall in most categories unless we have a very severe recession and none of us should want that. So the way you deal with the inflation that we've had, the higher prices, is where you get those paychecks up. And then, you know, you can afford it, it it adjusts. This was very disruptive. The inflation came very abruptly and the recovery has been very slow, but the recovery is there. And yes, what happened this year was not supposed to happen. And yet, if you think about all the disruptions in the pandemic to supply or supply chains or labor with worker, it makes sense that we had this, you know, things have unwound, we're rebalancing, we're getting back on track. And that you can see that there's a lot of signs of that in the economy. So if it makes sense, why, why are so many economists and pundits unwilling to accept it? Because the, the headlines are relentlessly negative. Yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, and now we have uh-huh. an amplification through a lot of other like social media and other news sources. Well, first of all, anyone that comes out and says this time is different is really going out on a limb. I wrote my last Substack post was talking about this time is different in terms of the unemployment rates. And uh, 
for the hawks, for the people that said in 2021, when inflation picked up, it would keep going. We did too much fiscal stimulus and yada, yada. Like history was on their side, but reality wasn't in terms of what was happening in the economy with supply and all the disruptions of the pandemic. I mean, when economists go back and think about what's possible or what usually happens in the macro economy, there ain't a pandemic in that data set, right? Like we had disruptions that weren't in living memory and that, I mean, that makes it hard. And certainly I was wrong about how high inflation would go and how persistent it would be. I had no idea how hard it was gonna be to turn the US economy back on the global economy back on with the disruptions, how hard it'd be to get COVID under control. So last year really, I mean, the case was there for, see, we did too much, we helped people too much and there's inflation. And what this year is showing is, yeah, it took longer to get inflation down. It was a real hardship and yet it's coming down. So, I mean, I don't wanna judge anybody. This has been a hard, it's hard to know where we are, let alone where we're going but we're going in a good direction now. That's all I care about. Okay, so so let's talk about where we are. We are not in recession, right? So so this brings up uh, the, the original reason we invited you on was uh, I saw uh, some of your discussions um, on Blue Sky. I don't do Twitter anymore. Uh, as Paul knows, I don't do any Nobody social- does Twitter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's all X now. Oh, yes. Oh, I won't, I won't even say no. that. Uh, But I saw you talking about the SOM rule and uh, making a point that it has not triggered and that people do not understand it. Explain for us, since you created it, it's named after you, what the SOM rule is, why it has not triggered, and why you created it. So the SOM rule in some ways, it's very it's very straightforward. I focus on the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate is, I mean, it's widely followed. People understand it. And it's the reason that we fight recessions. Like millions of people losing their jobs, that's really bad, right? And the reason that I developed the SOM rule, and it wasn't called that when I developed it, it was just a recession indicator, is I was, I contributed to a volume called Recession Ready that was uh, co-sponsored by Brookings and Washington Center for Equitable Growth. The volume had several chapters that were about automatic stabilizers, policies that in a recession would turn on automatically based on economic conditions and not politics. And each chapter were things that we do in a lot of recessions. My chapter was on sending out stimulus checks or direct payments to households. I had done a lot of research and policy work looking at different ways we helped households during the Great Recession and the recovery. Stimulus checks were a great way to help people. And and so the, the chapter was about putting them on autopilot. Well, to do that, you have to have something that says, send them out. And it needs to be accurate. I mean, Congress is going to be displeased if they send out hundreds of billions of dollars and there is no recession. People would probably be okay with that. They got an extra check. <laughs> uh, so I went and what I needed was not a way to forecast recessions. That isn't what I'm in the business of here. It's to say with a high degree of certainty, we are in a recession, send out those checks. Okay, so I mean, it is really accurate. People were excited about it more than I actually thought anyone would be. So it was named the SOM rule. It's now a widely followed indicator, especially right now. The rule itself is you look at the national unemployment rate. I take the three month average, which is very important. We don't wanna overreact 
to one data point. And what I do is I compare that most recent reading and what we know about October, that three-month average is 3.8%, and I compare it to the lowest reading in that series over the prior 12 months. That's 3.5%. So the summer would it's three-tenths of a percentage point right now. The trigger or the threshold for being in a recession is five-tenths percentage point, right? So, so we're not there yet. We've moved up a, notably since this summer. The unemployment rate is a very slow-moving creature. So when you start at seeing going up a little bit, it often will keep going, not always. The reason uh, my phone blew up at 8.30 in the morning when the employment report came out is the monthly reading was 3.9%. The lowest over the prior 12 months of the monthly reading is 3.4%. So that's five tenths. That's the SOM rule trigger. No, that is not. Uh, but it is, I mean, it's a, once you pay attention to it, I've talked a lot about that the unemployment rate is rising right now in part because of demand, right? Like, you know, people are cutting back some, especially relative to where they were and some workers get laid off and some sectors are getting hit harder than others. That is a very worrisome. That's a dynamic that heads into a recession. That's why the SOM rule works. The other piece right now that is, is more unusual is that we had a burst of workers come back labor force participation came up. And one really good example is a, a backlog of work visas for immigrant workers were processed this year. So that's kind of a temporary boost because you know they catch up and then it gets back to its regular flow. At the same time, job creation slowed some. I mean, still at really good levels, but it slowed some. And so right now you have jobs catching up with workers. And so that means you know there's a period of time where there's more unemployment. But that's a underlying it is a good dynamic. We have workers coming back. That's the best way to solve a labor shortage is with labor. So I don't see it as, it's worrisome, but I don't see a recession on the horizon. It's still my base case we avoid a recession. Let's define things a bit more, because this can be a little confusing. What exactly is a recession? What is the actual definition? Because I had thought that a recession was was uh, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. But that's not a recession? A recession is a broad-based contraction economic activity. Right? That's, that's the concept. Mm -hmm. GDP growth can often wrap that together, right? That is a measure of economic output, income. And we did see last year two consecutive quarters of declines in GDP. Now, that has only, and we did not have a recession, and I'll get back to why that's pretty clear. The, the two declines in GDP has never happened outside of a recession in the United States going all the way back to 1947. Now, it doesn't, now. It doesn't always happen in a recession. Until now, right? Yeah, so again, this, is, this time is different. Like when I stand out and say it about the Somme rule, like I got, I got some things to point to in recent, recent past. So the, in the United States, we have a group at the National Bureau of Economic Research is the recession dating committee. Do not let you, them set you up on dates. Uh, they're um, a lovely group of individuals, but yeah, they're a little older anyway. So they have an, and on their website, they have an FAQ about what, you know, they look at, there is no, there's no MBR rule. Right. Like they do this on a discretionary judgmental basis. They've dated, quote unquote, recession, the beginning and end of recessions going back 
like generations and generations. I mean, this is like even pre-World War II. And this fits with the broad base. They look at indicators like GDP. They do look at that. Uh, personal income, payroll employment, industrial production. There's other indicators. You know, so they look at a, a wide range. Oh, and consumer spending, of course, uh, of important pieces of activity. That's that's no, they do not look at inflation. I mean, they look at all these figures are inflation adjusted. But high inflation is not a recession. It's a bad time, but it's not a contraction in economic activity. And and then they make a decision. What they're looking for is like, what's the month before it all started falling apart? You know, that's called the peak of the recession. And then you go and find, well, when did it turn? Like, what's what's the depth? That's the trough. So that, that, by definition, is the recession. In the United States, we have a group of individuals, of experts, who make that decision. In other countries, some other countries don't have that, so they just use the two quarters of GDP. I mean, you know, that is a contraction. Right. So the, the important point here is we had those two quarters and didn't have a recession. So considering how weird the economy has been since COVID, is it possible that the SOM rule could trigger and we don't have a recession? Yes, and it would be very comparable to those GDP numbers in the sense that if you look under the hood at why the GDP declined in those two quarters, one was a contraction in net exports, like the contribution it was making to GDP. And then the other one was about uh, a slower pace of inventory build, which is also a pulls down GDP. So those two things are, I mean, we had a global pandemic, supply chains broke down, businesses were having a terrible time trying to figure out how much stuff they needed and when they needed it. So like, there's your supply story on what GDP looked like. And if you take out those two pieces, consumer spending was growing, inflation adjusted, business investment was growing, inflation. So it was a very COVID story. Now I said, my base case is that we avoid a recession. My base case also is the Somral triggers. I have learned, it's been painful, but this supply, working out supply and demand mismatches takes time. So the idea that all these extra workers on immigrants on work visas are trying to match up are going to figure, like they're all going to get jobs by next, by this month. No, I don't think that's going to happen. It is entirely possible. And I expect that the unemployment rate is going to drift up to 4%, maybe a little bit higher. If it would hang at 4% for, say, three months, the SOMRO triggers. If the unemployment rate then, because we're working out these supply disruptions, if it gets up to 4%, hangs right around it, and maybe that's not a recession. When the SOMRO has triggered in all of these prior recessions, in the mildest of recessions, which is 2001, it went up by two percentage points. Because remember, the SOMRO, this is a relatively small increase. It like keeps going. So 2001, it was more like two percentage points. A typical recession is more like four. So if we go up like kind of six tenths, seven, like that's not, it's not a recession. And it's so, and it's a supply story and a pandemic disruption story that has some comparable to GDP, except with the SOM rule breaking, that's in the labor market working out disruptions. I recall when we had those two quarters of GDP contraction that uh, some people were arguing that we were in a recession, even though employment, you know, that we were going to be in a, in a situation with high employment and high consumer spending that was still a recession, which kind of raises the question, you know, if a, if a recession falls on the economy, does it make a sound, you know? 
So I'm I'm curious. I think on this podcast we're very interested in the middle class as the you know as the the beating heart of the economy. Um, so I'm I'm curious. Can the can the SOM rule be adapted to provide insights into the economic well being of the middle class and and are there ways that you think it could inform policy decisions that prioritize the needs of the middle class uh, and promote economic stability that way? Oh, I could say so much about this question. Uh, <laughs> the first thing I'd say is looking at the labor market, looking at unemployment. Remember, all this came from a proposal to send out money to people, right? And very broad base. I am a proponent of those money to people going up through like 80% of households, right? The top 20, they'll be fine. Right, but I, I do think the research shows a broad-based help to people in a recession is a good idea. The unemployment rate, I mean, at the end of the day, many Americans, like their paycheck, like that is what they need to get by. I mean, to some people who don't have a living wage, it's not even enough. But for, I mean, for most families, like higher inflation is a hardship and no paycheck is a disaster. Right. So the fact that unemployment is low, that's really good. People are getting the paychecks. The unemployment rate being low is a benefit to workers, workers who are not at risk of losing their jobs. Right. Because you have generally higher wage growth. You have more job opportunities to move jobs. Employers are more flexible in work arrangements. We've seen in the last year historic gains in some groups that have been left on the sidelines or had a harder time. Women's employment is at record levels. We've seen black men's employment move up to historic levels. You have workers with disabilities who've come, I mean, like on and on and on. And that's because the labor market is good. Like workers have an upper hand. So the unemployment rate is a good way to just kind of proxy how well are people doing? regular people that need paychecks. Uh, so that's important. And the again, I, when we think about what are policies to support people, middle class, working class, those with the poor, it's, you know, finding ways to design good policy that are effective and, you know, have the biggest bang for the buck. Putting things on autopilot, tying them to economic conditions, even if Congress has to vote up or down on them, just being prepared building the systems. What does that relief look like? I mean, I am a big proponent of the stimulus checks. I worked on CARES and Rescue Plan and, you know, had a lot of input because that's my research and expertise. I would never have put the timing, particularly of the second and third checks when they were. I certainly would not have made the biggest check the last one. But, you know, frankly, a check that was, you know, came probably later than it should have, that's better than zero. Right. So and we and we saw a lot of benefits to households uh, from that relief and the extra jobless benefits. We absolutely could do it better. And part of doing that better is to get prepared and work out the details ahead of time. It's very hard in the fire to do it well. Right. And that's why you want to um, put this on autopilot, just so that these things trigger when they're necessary. Uh, to avoid the political fight over it. You know, you, you mentioned, and it's very true, how uh, inflation is a hardship, uh, unemployment is a disaster, losing your job is a disaster. The Fed has a dual mandate, allegedly, on inflation and employment, full employment. Is its priority off that it seems to focus more on inflation than full employment? My biggest concern is that we focus too much on the Fed. 
the Fed, they have a dual mandate. They're the only institution in the country that has an inflation mandate. Right? They have a dual mandate, maximum employment and inflation. I have been vocal and written endlessly about this on my Substack and other news outlets. If we let the Fed, or we expect the Fed to go it alone in bringing down inflation, and inflation has been too high, right? Like inflation needs and has needed to come down. If we act like the Fed can solve all the problems, then it is going to be really painful. And in any interview or any discussion of inflation, I have found myself in many, people talk about food, gas, and housing. Those are, and the Fed talks about this too, oh, people with less income, they can't afford food, gas, housing. Those are the three things that the Fed cannot bring down that inflation without causing a recession, a pretty severe, these are three necessities. And actually they can make housing a bigger mess because if they raise interest rates, right. they're not going to. So it's just, it like infuriates me that even the Fed buys into this, but then Congress does too, right? Like they need to be doing, and there were things that were done with the strategic petroleum reserve and getting up oil production, which I know runs counter to long range goals. And yet, I mean, they needed to move heaven and earth to get gas prices down, or it was going to be just, out of control, right? I mean, that, that's one of the places I think the Inflation Reduction Act earned its name. And not just from the prescription drug piece of it, which is important, that getting us in energy policy for the first time ever will be so important to fighting future energy inflation. We are the largest oil producer in the world right now, and we still were not protected from those massive increases in gas prices. You got to get off that stage. You got to have renewable energy. So, but this is just where I don't think people have their head wrapped around. And I mean, I think these are some, you know, people in Congress and the White House don't have their head wrapped around this, that they have a responsibility and the tools to fight inflation in a way that the Fed does not have the tools. Do I think the Fed is doing everything correctly? No. Uh, but to me, the biggest, the biggest problem we have right now is this expectation that the Fed can do it alone. And they can't. And in fact, I, well, its ultimate goal was to bring down inflation. Its proximate goal by raising interest rates was to drive up unemployment, wasn't it? It was to, I mean, weirdly, <laughs> to trigger, if not a recession, some misery in order to bring down demand. It's not the way they say it. You know, having worked at the Fed and, you know, I can do Fed speak if I want to. It's boring and no one can understand it. Uh, you know, when they talk about these softening of the labor market. It's like, just call a spade a spade here. You want people to have smaller paychecks. Some are going to lose their jobs. Don't, there's nothing soft about that. And yet the, the Fed, their sole focus right now is to get inflation down. Unemployment is low. I mean, you could really look at this and check the box on maximum employment. I mean, they, if they do too much, we're going to lose that one. They want to get inflation down. If we get inflation down, they do not care how it comes down. Right. If it's all coming from supply, they will take it. This is not we're not fighting. It's not like Volcker, like, oh, there was an inflation mentality and we just have to break people and they threw us into a recession. The Fed knows how to get inflation down to two percent really fast. They could have put us into a recession and they didn't. They are being patient on this regard up to a point. So to them, the tool and and the aligned with historical experience would be that to get inflation down, 
demand has to be reduced, and often that's reflected in unemployment going up. I mean, this was we heard this from macroeconomists using this rule of thumb. I mean, that's the the Fed works through demand. So often, what I've said is right now, and this was true, you know, for at least a year or two, we are in a race against the Fed in terms of the supply disruptions getting worked out. Because if they don't get worked out quickly and in a convincing way, the Fed will keep pushing and we will go into a recession. They don't want that, but they want 2% inflation and they're going to get it come hell or high water. Well, uh, so I have my own idea for an automatic stabilizer, which is for every uh, quarter point increase in the unemployment rate, a Fed governor loses their job. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the... They could soften up the Fed, or at least take away their speaking privileges. <laughs> oh, they cause so much havoc. <laughs> but this raises, well, one more question, which kind of baffles me. Why 2%? I mean, I know historically it's like this you know, accidental number pulled out, but I, I saw a headline even today with the good CPI news, and it followed up with, you know, still far above the 2% norm, mm-hmm. that the normal rate is 2%. The normal rate was not 2% until, mm-hmm. what, the aughts? Why is 2% magic? Yeah. And should it be, w- might we be better off with a 3% inflation rate? Right. Well, a couple of things. First, CPI runs higher than the Fed, than the personal consumption expenditure right. prices, which is what the Fed targets. So a normal CPI is more like two and a half. We are not far from that, right? Uh, so, but, but we don't have the 2% on the PC. Like we're not at the Fed's target and, you know, I, I get it. There's all improvement and, and God forbid we say anything good about the economy, right? So everything comes with a caveat. And uh, that was me being sarcastic. I think (laughs) some good we should uh, share. Okay, so this 2%, so it has a few different origin stories. Uh, Technically, the first central bank that that introduced this 2% target and made an explicit target, right? That That was the most important piece of it. They made it explicit was the Central Bank of New Zealand, Okay, this is a country with more sheep than people. So that's where we're getting our 2% target from. It was adopted widely. The other piece of it in the United States, you know, not to like be snarky about the New Zealand number, is that's kind of where inflation had started to settle. Right? Like after Volcker, it didn't it went down, but it took some time for inflation to move its way down. It was like in the 3%, you know, like, but it had like started to settle there ahead of New Zealand or ahead of this explicit target. So it had been kind of a soft target internally at the Fed, as I understand it. And so then the big change was to make it explicit. So it's not that it's just a random made up number. I mean, it kind of is, but it, it's where the economy looked like it wanted to be. But that doesn't mean that that's the right place. Like GDP growth had also softened, like productivity had fallen off. So it's not... Well, well, wages uh, were flat. We, yeah. So it's just like I say with the, the SOM rule, it's an empirical pattern. It's something we see out in the world, but it's not a law of nature, right? The underlying dynamics can change and thus the, you know, the quote unquote best target would be fine. The reason, I mean, the Fed is not going to change this target. This was a discussion for other reasons before the pandemic even, because inflation was low, lower than they wanted. It's also, you know, people have been really, I think rightly so, angry about inflation being high. You want to go out and say, hey, we actually want more inflation. 
than before. I, I think just the, the reaction, would, it just would be hard to explain why one arbitrary number, which happens to be bigger, is better than one arbitrary number that's lower. I, I'm pretty convinced we can get back to 2%. I, and I think we can get there in a healthy economy with higher productivity and wage gains. I don't think we're we need to have that conversation yet because inflation improvements have not stalled out. There's a question that we ask everyone, uh, the benevolent dictator question. Is there anything that you would do to improve the economy right now if you were in charge, if you were the benevolent dictator of the economy and had ultimate power? Yeah, no no political constraints. You could, you get to, Sam gets to rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Protect this labor market. It, we need people need to be paid a living wage, and they need to be treated with dignity in their work. And we have seen in this recovery, because the labor market moves so fast, it turns out, despite the fact that corporations have told us that their workers weren't worth paying more, well, guess what? If they need to, they pay them more. Right, and they are worth it. And we've seen productivity higher. And it is extremely important that we are bringing people off the sidelines and getting them the jobs that they want. Like that, that's just good for the country as a whole, let alone the individual workers. So to me, we've made a lot of gains in the labor market. We have learned a lot of lessons about how to do it right. Much of it has gotten drowned out by the inflation. We were going to have inflation anyways. And it's just, it's been amazing to see how that has happened. I, the other piece, we, we've learned, and there was proof of concept of how many ways that we could help those people who really needed some extra help. I'm a huge advocate for the new child tax credit. And I hope that all of the people who all of a sudden uh, with high inflation care about the poor, I sure hope that they come and back that CTC because they weren't, you know, a year ago. Uh nor do I, am I waiting for them to do that? But we've just seen all kinds of relief programs that really made a difference. And across the board, we've also seen a lot of cases they could, they need to be better administered, right? Some of these programs are a real disaster in how they work. And hopefully we, I mean, a lot of times it's the nuts and bolts that are really boring that we need to spend more time on. And these are these are some of the big lessons to learn from COVID. But above all else, you know, we have to value the American workers. That's they're the ones that get the job done. Our last question that we ask everyone is, uh, why do you do this work? When I was an undergraduate at Denison University, I mean, when I showed up, I did not know what I wanted to do with my with my life. And I had an economics professor who convinced me early on that economists can do good in the world. I have doubted that at some point in time. Uh, and to me, well, and I really, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to do good in the world. And working in public policy has been, for me, the most direct path to try and do good in the world. So I'm very proud of what I've, you know, the opportunities I've had to work in that space. And, uh, but there are definitely days where I questioned whether this was the, the way for like my personal sanity <laughs> to to be, you know, being an economist isn't always fun, but it's it's been challenging. And I've, like I said, I've had a lot of opportunities and I'm very, very thankful for that. Thank you for doing the work. It's been, uh, it's, it's been really fun uh, 
following you online, and now finally getting to talk to you in person. And uh, Nick is really apologetic that he couldn't be here to talk oh, with you, too. Okay. I'm definitely a, a fan of the podcast, so I have listened well, thank before. You. So it's always exciting to you know go from listener to talker. So Goldie, here's a question. Do you think you would ever want an economic rule with your name on it? Because frankly, <laughs> it seems like kind of more of a headache than it's worth. Um, the Goldie rule? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't even imagine what the Goldie rule would be. No, you know what? If you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I would have emphatically said yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have grown accustomed to being Nick's sidekick. And let's be honest, if there was a Goldie rule, it would probably be called the Hanauer rule. Because <laughs> 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 that's the way it works. But yeah, I agree with you. It is amazing actually following uh, Claudia on Blue Sky and seeing mm -hmm. old white men like me uh, mansplaining her own rule to her. <laughs> And she's had to write multiple Substack uh, newsletters explaining it and and all that. It just it just seems like a hassle. Her Substack is amazing. I love to follow it, but I really was feeling for her last week when everybody <laughs> came out with an opinion about the rule with her own name on it. Right. I th I think the amazing thing about this uh, little incident, though, over over the Psalm rule and whether or not it has been triggered, is that people are entirely missing the point of it. Uh, mm -hmm. The point is not to predict recession so that we can have doom and gloom headlines when unemployment uh, goes up a tick. The point is to actually do something about it to avoid peak misery. Uh, that's why she created it as a uh, trigger for automatic stabilizers. And that's not what you're hearing people talking about. You're not seeing headlines saying, oh, we need to uh, send checks out to people. We're seeing headlines saying, oh, this is bad for Biden. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of the people who misread the rule, they were upset because they thought it was uh, predictive, right? They, they, they only cared that the rule would trigger something, that the rule would... Um was was a natural law that uh, <laughs> that this happens, then this happens. And I think that's been a problem with all of the economic discourse over the last two years. It's been very frustrating because people are talking about, are we in a recession? And then, you know, you have endless debates about the the GDP and, and, and all that. And, you know, should inflation be at 2% or whatever? And, and it's kind of a forest for the trees situation because what you should be talking about in economic conversations is is this good for the middle class is this good for the economy but instead it seems like we're just like fighting over the terms and the numbers again and again uh and that really doesn't accomplish anything well uh, it, it does accomplish something it, it it lowers expectations and so much of economics is an expectations game i mean that essentially is uh <laughs> Uh, the consensus on what causes inflation is the expectation of inflation. And the reason why the Fed is so worried about high inflation taking hold is this idea that once people think there's going to be inflation, it makes it harder to fight it. So uh, uh, if you constantly have all this negative, uh, all these negative headlines about the economy, people are going to spend less and employers are going to hire fewer people and invest less in production. And it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
I think what's important to point out is that this is actually not for everybody, but broadly, it is a really strong economy right now and has been for quite some time. And we're not talking about on the average. We're talking about on the median and particularly for people at the lower end of the economy. We see uh, there's a report that came out, I think, just yesterday uh, showing that we haven't had this much uh, wage compression and wealth compression since the the period following the boom following World War II, since the 1950s and 60s. Uh, we see wages rising faster than inflation, and we see uh, economic inequality decreasing, particularly uh, with workers who have uh, only a, a high school diploma or less. This is the first time in 40 years we've seen that type, those types of gains uh, for people at the bottom end of the wage scale. And we see it in the middle as well. We see it basically for 80% of workers. It is remarkable. And all of this is since 2020. So in the broad scheme of things, this is a strong economy, even if prices are higher than they were uh, before COVID hit. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, those were the high school diploma workers uh, are the exact people who the media was so concerned about in the wake of the 2016 election. But uh, there seems to be not as much attention being paid now that those workers are seeing big gains this year. So, yeah, it's a tricky game with ever changing rules. And um, and, you know, we're just trying to make sense of it. So I think that if there is a Goldie rule, uh, Paul, it's that. Uh, the Goldie rule is n nobody knows anything about economics, <laughs> and if they and if they do, they're not going to tell you in the headlines anyway. <laughs> That's a good one. I, I endorse that rule a hundred percent. It's it's more a rule of thumb than a rule, but I'll go with it. Again, if you want if you want to read more from Claudia Sam, we provide links in the show notes. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.